Hey everybody, let's get ready to jump back in. I thank you for joining me again today. We're going to continue on with part three of Matthew chapter 13. So if you'll just jump in, get all your stuff together, just pick back off where you left off from the last time. And again, I welcome you here. Let's just go ahead and get started. So today we're going to be taking a look at why we do what we do. You know, it's important to know why we study the Bible and those answers, those answers are actually found in your Bible. And so let's just take a look at one of those answers today. And it's found in Proverbs chapter two, where it states, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. And that's found in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. So if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for your written expression, your word. You said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so we counted an honor. We counted a privilege, Father, to be able to open up your word and commune and fellowship with you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of us giving us revelation and insight to your truths. Father, bless us as we study your word. And in the words of one of my leaders, God, we pray that the Holy Spirit and the power of your word will provoke us to change. And so we thank you for it, God. We come together as a community right now in the mighty name and the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Speak by your word, God, like never before, and we will receive it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, everybody, we're just going to continue on. We're going to start with verse 34, where it reads, All these things spoke Jesus to the multitude in parables. Now notice it says, the multitude in parables. And without a parable spoke he not to them. So that will start us off with verse 34. But before we get started, we just want to look at how much ground we've covered. In the first two videos, we looked at the sower, the seed and the soil, the wheat and the thistle or the wheat and the tares. And then we looked at the mustard seed and we looked at the yeast. 
So today we're going to pick up right in here where it talks about is placed in the flour. Only a small amount of yeast is used. And then we're going to talk about the treasure in the field, the merchant in the pearl, the sorting of fish, the homeowner and his treasure, and then the reason for his parables, the purpose, the prophecy, and then how their, what their reaction was to those parables. And again, you can find this at uh, liberty.edu. If you put in a uh, Bible outline in your Google search, you should be able to come, to come across that. So with that said, let's just go ahead and jump straight in. Uh, again, we're starting with prophecy and parables. Remember to have, uh, when you're looking at cross-reference with me just have maybe an additional Bible one that stays in one place and one that you can turn and uh, switch to or you can just do it after you actually view the, the video all right so verse 34 again prophecy and parables so verse 34 all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables and without a parable he did not speak to them so that's the multitude. So here's the first note I want to share. We've already seen that. Um, we can look at some cross references and it says these things I've spoken to you in a figurative language. So when you think of a parable, think of para means to come alongside. It's been placed alongside of something else. Okay. So it's in a figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. That's in John 16, verse 25. And so we just take a look at that. Let me go ahead and just uh, bring this up so we can follow along with the notes. So if we continue on, we're back in Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 34, and where it says, We'll continue on at the bottom where we have our note, verse 34. Um, again, that's just the reference is John 16, 25, if you want to write that down. All right, verse 35, that might be fulfilled. So he's saying, I speak to you in the, the multitude in parables, and it's saying why? Because it might be fulfilled because the prophet Isaiah has spoken something. And then he quotes that prophet. It says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So Jesus gives him the, them the reference. And that's found in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.7 is a cross reference along with Colossians 1 verse 25 through 26. So let's just go ahead and take a look at that. And we're looking again at verses, verse 35 and the cross reference listed there. So we have 1 Corinthians 2 and 7. So it reads, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for your glory. So that's, that's another reference to those things spoken in mysteries and in parables. And then if you look at Colossians 1, 25 verses 25 through 26, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed 
to his saints. So that's me and you if you are saved. So from that, you can actually see what it is that we are looking at when we're talking about parables, why he's speaking in parables. He's speaking it uh, in parables to the multitude. But if you look at your next section, it should have a subtitle. It might not have the same exact subtitle, but something along those lines of the parable of the weeds explained. So he's now going to go into an explanation. So Matthew 13, 36, it says, then Jesus sent. So now he's talked, spoken to the multitude in parables. Now he sent them away. And then he went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the, of the field. And so we see here, Jesus, just the nice picture where he's speaking to the multitudes. He has sent them away and now he's gone in to a house. And so I wanted to share with you just a picture of an ancient house that you would pos just a model uh, this is not exactly Jesus's house. This is just uh, a replica where we can get an idea. I mean, if you look, the houses, I mean, they look pretty nice. <laughs> when I think about a house, I never thought of an ancient Israel house looking this way. Okay. So we up here, we have an actual living space and a main room, an eating area, a cistern, a courtyard, a stable up under it. So it's pretty interesting to take a look at that. And then notice that Christ sent the multitudes away without an explanation. The explanation was given to his disciples. Also notice that the disciples had a desire to have knowledge. When you examine the kingdom climate now, this is a question for you. Do you believe that Christians desire knowledge? Okay, that's just something to think about. Do you believe when you examine the climate now that the the kingdom, well, some Christians, I'm not going to say all, do they even desire knowledge? Because here we see that the disciples are asking for an explanation. So if we look, continue on with verse 37. So he answers that question. And he says, he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. So here we are, we're starting off. He's given us good explanation. So the person he's, he's referring to is himself. And he's saying, I sow the good seed. So again, we just go on with that. We just continue to look at his explanation and how he is um, teaching his disciples. So in verse 38, he breaks it down. The field is the world. So even in your notes, you could write field equals world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the one sons of the wicked one. Okay. So you could highlight that there. We have the field is the world. So let me highlight that with you. We're going to go ahead and annotate the screen. So we know that the field is the world. We know that the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. And we know that the tares are the sons of the wicked one. So we have the sons of the wicked one. So if you want to go ahead and highlight that. And this just gives us, you know, he's seeking to make sure that his disciples have a good understanding. And they're not just, you know, flunking around all over the place and have no clue of what he's talking about. So let's take a look 
at some cross references, cross reference with Matthew 24, 14 and Genesis 3, 15. So here we go. And this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. So that's the time that we're in right now. So you can actually find additional references. We're not going to go through all of them. I'm just sharing with you the ones that I found uh, relevant based on what I wanted to emphasize in this verse. So we'll look at Genesis 3.15 and it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now check that out. That's in Genesis that starts this whole thing off because in enmity means extreme hostility. And where will that enmity exist? In two places. It will exist. I think that's a, a big part. The Holy Spirit ministered that to me a few days ago. You know that there's a hostility. There are things that happen with Adam as a result of the fall. But notice in this verse, and we're talking the hostility exists between all of mankind. But based on this verse, I actually believe there's a, another different type of hostility between women who bring forth seed and the devil. Okay. And so it, the enmity is between first of all, women and the devil and mankind and the devil. And it's also between her seed and the enemy seed. And God announced this and said, there will be extreme hostility because of the fall. And then there's a capital, uh, he here, he represents Christ. It says he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there is a battle that has been, um, has started since the beginning, since Genesis. Okay. So that's two cross references and you can find many more after that. All right. So let's look at good. Good is, uh, the Greek entry two, five, seven, zero. And it's this word here, K A L O S. And that means, and I didn't know this good actually means beautiful. So you could think of it as the beautiful seed, which would include you and I, if, if you are saved, the beautiful seed versus the seed of the enemy. And so we have some additional information. It's an adjective. This is how you spell it in English. This is defined as beautiful and it's used. It says beautiful as an outward sign of the inward good, noble, honorable character, good, worthy, honorable, noble, and seem to be so. Now we know we're only those things through the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's some other words to think about. Beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent, um, surpassing, precious. Think of yourself as precious, useful, suitable, commendable, admirable, good, excellent in its nature and characteristics, and therefore well adapted to its ends. Genuine, approved, precious. This is all you and me. According to God, this is how he sees us because we've made him our Lord and savior, beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life and hence praiseworthy again, because of the blood, morally good, noble, honorable, conferring honor, affecting the mind agreeably com comforting and confirming. It can mean valuable, pleasing or acceptable. So that's all. I mean, that word is packed. 
So when we see seed, what are we talking about? We're talking about the spiritual offspring of Eve or the spiritual offspring now of Jesus Christ. We even think about, you hear this when you hear the phrase Abraham's seed. Okay, so um, this the spiritual offspring, a remnant, referring to either the seed of plants, that's the literal definition, okay? But we are looking at right here, metaphorically, spiritual offspring. And I want you to notice that the sons of the kingdom are dwelling in the world with the sons of the wicked one. So what does that mean? God has not, you know, he said that in Genesis 3 and 15, Enmity will be be between the seed of Christ and the seed of the enemy. And it says, and here's a note that we should emphasize, and you can write this down in your notes. People fall into one or two groups. There is no third group. Okay. I know as, as humans, we attach all these names, agnostics, atheists, this person, that person. But according to the kingdom, you're in, there are only two groups. You're either in the group of the good seed or you're in the group of the bad seed. You're either a wheat or you're a tear. Okay. There are no in between. So as children of God, we need to be able to decipher between the two. Why? Because of Genesis three, there's enmity between the two groups. By examining the fruit they bear. Jesus said, you'll know the fruit by the tree, by the fruit that it bears. So not to condemn them, you know, part of our job is to help, Jesus Christ says, to seek, to minister, to seek and save the lost. But there are times when you also need discernment to know, okay, that this person, um, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. They have rejected Christ. Um, Have they been put in my life because they're an enemy? Because of um, not the person, but the spirit that's within within the person is an enemy. And the enemy is just using that person. And he's using that person to deceive you. Okay? So that's a lot. We only just covered the first few verses. So again, you can use whatever cross-references you need. But this is an example of how word study uh, cross-references God, Holy Spirit giving us insight that we can understand lay on top of what we're actually reading. So verse 38, he goes on into that explanation and we saw that and he says it again, sons of the kingdom. So the field is the world. The seeds are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the wicked one. Okay. So we continue on with verse 39, the enemy who sold them. So he tells us where they come from is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Now that's just straightforward. Okay. It says, so we're going to look at the cross reference in Revelation 14, 15. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Thrust in your sickle, sickle, look at me, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So right there in Revelation 14 reflects right back here at Matthew 13 and 39. Okay, we know exactly what he is saying. The enemy, again, how did they get here? The devil. And then the harvest, like we just saw in Revelation, is the end of the age. And who is going to carry all this on? The angels. Okay, so again, he's lining up. We're balancing out with other scriptures 
And most of all, it's in the red. You know, when it's in the red, you almost don't even need to look at anything else. But just for a greater understanding is why we look into the actual um, cross references when we can. So verse 40, therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. We just saw that with Revelation 14, 15. Okay, right here again, let me pull that up so you can see it. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrusting your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Okay, and that's a revelation given to the apostle um, John. And so we just continue on. Again, we have that understanding. Let's take a look at John 15, 6 and Matthew 3 and 12. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Okay. And so we see that again, we see that the reality of what's coming for the sons of the enemy or the tares of this world. And then let's take a look at my other cross references, uh, Matthew three twelve. his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So in our chapter, he compares wheat with tares. In this chapter of Matthew, he's talking about wheat and the chaff. But either way, the result is the same, burn with unquenchable fire. So unfortunately, here's my note, this is a reality. That is why it's important to warn and preach the gospel. So through the ministry of Christ and assistance of the Holy Spirit, we are able to use our gifts to save many from the fire, right? So it's not just so we can go to heaven and, you know, just have a good time, but it's also to see who we can, God can, how he can use us to preach the gospel, to preach the truth that everything in God is not peachy. Everything in God is not about having a great life on this side of glory. You know, the, the true, the, one of the greatest gifts is that we're saved from unquenchable fire, that we are the wheat. And so we want to help other people to be converted and come on and be given that new life in the kingdom of God, be regenerated. Okay, so we're gonna look at another cross-reference. We saw, let's click here. Let me get on my note here so we will be able to see. So we read that and we're gonna look at a commentary that relates to verse 40 and this is the uh, date. I don't know how to pronounce his first name. I should have looked it up, but F-I-N-I-S, Dake. It's the called the Dake's um, Annotated Bible if you, if you wanna grab that. So he says, this refers to the judgment of the nations and he gives two references the tares will be burned in the same sense the branches of Christ will be if they do not abide in him so now we've seen the tares um, some of the branches um, you know not the branches of us because it says oh, uh, I am I am the tree ye are the branches so we're not talking about the branches of the kingdom of God Okay, but there are references and just like we just saw a minute ago, instead of the tares, we saw the chaff. 
And then there are additional references if you want to look up and pause the video. So we have a good understanding, right? Because the whole point of this, remember how we started out this whole thing. It says uh, the good seed are those who are on by the wayside. The seed falls on the wayside because there's no understanding. So we are trying to understand this. So with the help again of the Holy Spirit. So we saw our cross references. We looked at a commentary. Let's keep going. Verse 41, the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. So here he gives us more details of who he considers to be tares. It's plain and simple. He's saying he will gather the angels, the reapers, when they come, he will gather all things that offend and those, those, all things and those. So that's people who practice. So if you are in your Bible, I want you to go ahead and highlight that practice who practices doesn't mean that the first time you do something, you know, oh, I'm going to be burned in hell with an unquenchable fire. It's that that person doesn't have an, a repentant heart. They're living a lifestyle. They're practicing lawlessness. Okay. And so as we sit in a culture and a climate now who people all you hear all, all, all the time is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not under the law. I'm not under the law. Well, the scripture, thank you, Holy Spirit says, you know, we wrote, I gave it to you before paraphrasing in, in the letter form, but there'll become a time where I'll write my laws, my precepts on your heart. So that, and, and that we're without excuse. Okay. So he says those who practice lawlessness. So let's take a look at the note here at 41 and it says, here's a cross reference. Now I urge you. Okay. Check that out before we go over that fast. I urge you brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, which you've learned and avoid them. Come on, stop it. That is, uh, let me see. I can see it in a minute. That's Romans. That's Paul. I urge you note those who cause divisions and offenses, right? So we read the scripture that says things that offend contrary to the doctrine, which you learn and avoid them, right? So there's a balance. We are supposed to seek and save the lost, but people who are sowing seeds of division, practice lawless, lawlessness, ness, <laughs> And things that offend, avoid them, right? If you're not sent to help them be, be saved, avoid them. So you got to know when to do what. It says, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own smooth words and flattery, flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. That's Romans 16, 17, 18. We are in that climate now. But there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. That is second Peter two, one through two woe to the world because of offenses for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. 
right? And so we go through this. We're going to look at a commentary in a minute, but let's look at lawlessness. We have the Greek entry 458, N-O-M-I-A, and that's illegality. It's violation of law or wickedness. Uh, John 3, 4 says, whoever commits sin also commits. Now, remember, we're talking about practicing, commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Iniquity, transgression of the law, a worker of iniquity. Now, this is not talking about ceremonial law. This is not talking about, um, you know, what you had to do, bring two doves or uh, kill a, a ram or, or kill a, a, a sin offering. Those were some ceremonial things that were done before Christ uh, gave his life. It says a worker of iniquity. Here are some synonyms and phrases, individual sin, indictable crime, acting contrary to accepted custom, unrighteousness, misdeed, an overstepping, a sidestepping, a wandering, a forsaking of the right path, a sin of ignorance, an evil deed, the condition, lawlessness, the condition of without law, because either you're ignorant of it or because you're just plain violating it, contempt and violation of law, iniquity and wickedness, the condition of one without law again whether it's intentionally or not so what is law here's an article by dr dw x strand the essence of divine law decide if you agree with it or not according to the primary purpose of the law god is to reveal sin and to convince us that we are sinners in need of a savior so that's all of us not to teach us how to be good, as is commonly assumed, though it does serve in that secondary capacity as well. So it came to show us that we were not good and that we needed a savior. Let me keep reading. The significance of divine law and scripture is that it is an authoritative expression of the holy character and mind of God and his revealed will with respect to human conduct. Webster's Dictionary describes law as a fixed canon, a code, an edict, or injunction that has been established and enforced by the governing authority who is its source. Come on. The eternal law of God is derived from the only sovereign God of creation who has existed from all eternity. And because he is infinitely holy, so also is his law. Furthermore, since he is the authority behind the law, he is the preeminent one who enforces the law and the subsequent effect for not conforming to God's divine economy as it is, is expressed by the law is death. Eternal separation from God. That's what we just read. Burned in fire. One of the primary functions of the law in the Bible is to restrain evil. As Paul points out in his first letter to Timothy, the law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers and immoral men, and for whatever else is contrary. John Calvin says the law is something like a tether to restrain the otherwise wild and destructive ragings of our sinful nature. It is a mirror in which we contemplate our weakness, the iniquity arising from this, and finally the curse coming from both, just as a mirror shows us the spots on our face. The mirror is provided so that having seen the dirt on our faces, we will turn from the mirror to the soap and water, Christ, with which the dirt, sin, may be washed away and cleansed. My goodness. 
Thank you for hanging in, in, in there with me on that. Okay, but we're just doing this so that we can learn and get a deeper understanding of what Christ is referring to. Okay, so we're going to look at that was just lawless, lawlessness. Now we're going to look at uh, John Wesley, see the commentary and a discussion on a fin. So we go to our um, commentary section. So again, 1341, they shall gather all things that offend whatever had hindered or grieved the children of God, whatever things or persons had hindered the good seed. Remember back to Genesis 315, which Christ had sown from taking root or bearing fruit. The Greek word is all scandals. So in other words, it's the things that offend, offend us, offend God, and the persons, the persons who hinder the good seed. Okay? All of that. He's saying those who practice lawlessness and offend. Now, the Holy Spirit's reminding me. You know, we forget that paraphrasing when Jesus went and preached and he talked, he said, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, right? Not that we uh, follow the law just for law's sake, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? He said, he gave an example. He said, you know, Moses told you, you could divorce your wife, but I tell you, here's the exceeding, here's the exceeding of the Pharisees. But a man, whoever looks at someone with lust, intention to lust in his eye, right? He is guilty of committing adultery in the heart. So Jesus is saying, Moses, the, the, uh, the righteousness of the Pharisees would tell you, Hey, you go get a divorce. But I say, I'm going to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. I'm saying, look, don't get a divorce unless these conditions have taken place. Now that might be for somebody. Okay. So verse, let's continue because we can go all day on that. Verse uh, 42. So we have verse 42 and let's go ahead and see. Let me change my screen. So those uh, references are showing and I want to pull up my note again here. Uh, let's see here. Note verse 42 and we'll cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now he's telling the disciples this, right? Cause he cares about them and he loves them and he doesn't want those things to happen. Just like he doesn't want those things to happen to us. So when you see CF, that means compare to another way to say a cross reference says his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. There's that wheat again. But he will burn up the chaff with a unquenchable fire. We saw that. Therefore, my beloved brethren, here's the reason. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Right? Sometimes we look for the big payoff. And the big payoff for me is knowing that, hey, I won't, I don't want to be gnashing, wailing and gnashing teeth. And hopefully none of you do either because we can't get around it. We see it in several places. The truth is just the truth. And we just have to reconcile ourselves with the truth. Okay. We, it would be nice if we could wrap this up and make it look cute and pretty, but it's not for those who are not under the authority of Jesus Christ. Okay. So verse 43, let us continue. 
clicking again. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He, so here's the warning. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the Holy Spirit's reminding us right now, reminding me, remember how we start out? Wayside is for people. He started this whole thing about how we hear. If you hear um, by the wayside and you don't understand, your seed is falling by the wayside because there is no understanding. Stony ground because things come up, right? Things come up. Well, thorns, the cares of the world, the deceitful of richness, of riches, the deceitful of richness, those things coming and choke out the word. So all those things were to remind us, look, be careful. And he says it to the disciples, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And even if you're listening to this right now, it's not by mistake. He's saying to all of us, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so then he goes on and he talks about another. He gives them another parable and it's the parable of the hidden treasure. Now, let me go back. I want to make sure I didn't skip over anything. So, oh, let's look at the cross references in that section. Daniel 12, 3. So let me go to that. Daniel 12, 3 and uh, Revelation 21, 3 through 5. Revelation 21. 22 through 23. So let's go here. We have Daniel 12 and 3 here. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So they're talking about the sons of the kingdom, the daughters of the kingdom, and those who turn many to righteousness. You know, I think of John the Baptist and a lot of us who are helping to, to, um, keep that mandate going, preach the gospel to the entire world. So 20, uh, revelation 21, three through five. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, I love this. The tabernacle of God is with men. Look at that. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. The former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write. For these words are true and faithful. Come on, right? So for all of us who have experienced pain and heartache, this is the hope of the gospel that one day he will wipe away all of our tears. Let's look at Revelation 21, 22 through 23. But I saw no temple in it. Check that out. There's no temple because he himself will be, he will dwell with us. It says, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated, the Lamb is its light. Man, that's powerful. So when you read, then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father, we get a glimpse of what's waiting for us in that kingdom. Man, I just want to, I feel like just shouting, but I'm just going to keep it together. All right, the parable. Here's another parable. So that's the parable of, remember, we went through, he gave us the explanation and we're going through this. And so now we have that additional parable. 
And we're coming against up against to the parable of the hidden treasure. So again, this is verse 34. So let me make sure. Let's look back at what that last uh, parable. I know I I'm feel like I'm passing the parable of the weeds explained. And then we're here with verse 44, uh, the parable of the hidden treasure. Okay. And we already went through that. Let me make sure the parable of the hidden treasure. No, what, why does it feel like, uh, let me, oh no. Okay. Here we go. So 43, we're talking about then the righteous will shine forth as a sun. So we are ending that parable. So the parable of the hidden treasure, 1344, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So what is that saying to us? It's a giving us an idea of the value of the kingdom of heaven. So we just think of that man right there, right? Finding that treasure hidden in a field. And this man goes and sells everything, right? Because it's so valuable to him. So we're going to look at some cross references here for this verse. So if we go ahead, we're going to, our first one's going to be Proverbs 16, 16. So if we go on down, how much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding to be chosen rather than silver. So we're comparing the wisdom of what we're hearing and learning to that. To, it's, like, it's, it's a different kind of treasure. You know, gold is a treasure. Silver is a treasure. But here Christ is saying there's nothing like there's nothing like the kingdom of heaven and gaining wisdom about that kingdom. Okay, and so Proverbs 16, 16, then we look at Luke 14, 33, that's found here. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple, right? That man in that field who finds this field, this treasure, this man finds it and he forsakes all of it to, to be a part, or in other words, to be a disciple in the kingdom of God. And so let's look at additional references. Revelation 3 and 18. Let's see if we can find that. Right here, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So he's saying right here, all the things that we're going to get in the kingdom of heaven, that those things are more valuable than gold, that one, one day there will be a, we will be clothed in white garments. Okay. And then you can look at this other one. This is found in Philippians three, seven through nine. We'll just take a quick look at that. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. This is Paul. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge. Look at that loss, kingdom of heaven, because I want the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ. So Paul is showing us how that man who finds the treasure in the hit in the field, 
right? The value of the kingdom and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is by God. Let me finish that out correctly. The righteousness, which is from God by faith. And so Jesus is teaching, he's preaching and he's showing us. Then he goes to another parable, the parable of the pearl of great value great value. So again, we're thinking about value when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And so we have another note here. So we want to make sure we pull that up. And so just so we can take a look, there's just a nice photo of a pearl. Um, so we can see that this is a merchant seeking. That's what I love about it. Seeking. So go ahead with your pen and then highlight that in this verse seeking. You know, asking ourselves, are we seeking? Are we seeking the kingdom of God? Christ says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So we're, it's like a pearl. It's a pearl of great price. Okay, so continue in verse 46. Who... So let me go back because this is an entire sentence. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. So when we get to 46, that's the who we're talking about. So who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's like the guy who found treasure in the field. So again, we're looking at our notes here on 46. Okay, what can we learn from this verse. So let me go ahead and explode that for you so you can see that. If we look at what took place to gain an understanding, we observe two facts. The pearl was valuable because it had a great price. Come on, Holy Spirit, preach. The kingdom of heaven is valuable, not only with all the rewards that we will get, and, the, and to be able to dwell with God and, and he will be our, he will tabernacle, tabernacle with us, right? The great price that Christ paid in order for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven, okay? The important fact is what the merchant did when he found the pearl, he sold all that he had and bought it. This brings to mind two verses for me. That's what the Holy Spirit uh, reminded me of. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone decides to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That goes right along with the verse we're reading in Mark 13, 46. Here's another one. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Matthew 16, 24, Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come take up the cross and follow me. Come on, stop it. That's right along with everything. That's everything we just see in this one little verse. Okay, here's another parable, the parable of the net, verse 47. So we're catching up here. 
looking at our notes and remember you can actually uh, pause the video anytime you want to look at write down the references or jot down any of the notes that I have written so if you look at this this is what a dragnet looks like it I mean you literally dragnets are that that you drag right and so we're going to hear about this in this parable and then what you can do on your own time i won't do it now but go back and compare as we're reading 47 through 50 what comparisons do you see between 47 through 50 and 40 through 43 okay so just a quick a quick question one you can answer after this if you'd like says again the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that's what we just saw that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind well kind of what which when it was full so we're talking about fish here which when it was full they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels but through the bad away, I'm thinking the Holy Spirit's mind me when he told Peter, he said, cast your net on the right side. And it said that there are so many fish that they, I mean, he had to get help uh, because the net to keep all the fish that they had, there were so many fish, right? And so this drag net, he's making a metaphor again. And he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like that. That when it's it, this dragnet, when it's full. So here we're not talking about value. We're talking about an event, something that's going to happen because he's comparing it to, he said he gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So if it's a dragnet, they're talking about putting the good, the good fish in one vessel and put the bad fish in another. And then Jesus says, so it will be at the end of the age right there. So he's giving us some prophecy and he's letting us know these things are going to happen. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just. So we stop right there and let's look at some cross references, comparing it to this verse. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. That's Matthew 25, 32. I don't know what else we could say, right? So that's not even a parable. That's just getting straight to the point and saying all nations will go through this separation. So verse 50, and so after we have the separation that goes on in the kingdom of heaven at the end of time, when the reapers gather them, it says, and cast them into the furnace of fire. So how many times? Jesus is making a point. And it says, there will be wailing and gnashing of feet. He is saying this several times, several times, because he wants to make sure that we understand that there's a choice. He said, I will neither be hot or cold. He, but I will, I'll spit you out. You can't be in between. You can't be lukewarm. We started off saying that at the very beginning, you either have sons of the devil or sons of the kingdom. There is not a third group. You know, he's showing us the same thing here. There are not 15 groups of agnostics, atheists, or anything else. You either believe in the, in, in the, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You believe that Jesus Christ, is he gave his life willingly and paid. He's the atonement for our sins so that we may dwell, dwell with God in eternity. And the power of the Holy Spirit has been placed inside so that we can walk this thing out and not practice 
intentional lawlessness, right? Intentional lawlessness and commit offenses. So he's saying there's something that will, will happen, right? That's the part that we're not taking as serious as we should. So we saw that. Let's just make sure we saw that. Uh, Luke 13, 27 through 28. I want to make sure that we uh, took a look at that. Let's see. But he will say, I'll tell you. To, oh, here it is. Let's look at this one. Luke 13, 27 through 28. But he will say, I tell you. So this is again, the end of the age. I do not know you. <laughs> so we can stop right there. You know, a lot of it is unbelievers, people who don't believe in it, don't want to create a relationship, don't seek to have a relationship, don't want to seek to know Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm going to tell those group, those people, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be, here it is again, weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Now that's, that's rough, right? Because I think about Lazarus and the rich man where the rich man, they said that there's a great chasm and the, the rich, the rich man is saying, please, somebody go tell, tell Lazarus, just dip some, so his finger in some water, touch my tongue. It is burning up down here. And then some, uh, I can't remember exactly who it was, but a man of God says that can't happen. There's a, a, wherever Lazarus is now and where you are now that you had your choice. You made your decision. The first will be last. The last will be first. Right. And he's saying, then the rich man says, well, okay, fine, but please go tell my family. Don't come to this place. Right. So we want to make Christianity cute. It's not cute. It's serious business on where our souls will be in eternity. Okay. It says it will be thrust out. Cause to me, that's the hardest part where you actually come in and you're going to see people. Unbelievers are going to see the glory. They're going to see Abraham. They're going to see Isaac. They're going to see Jacob. They're going to see the prophets and then be thrust out. That's like going into a party. You going into the party of the year. And you get there, I don't know if you back in the day, you go to a party and if you weren't on, your name wasn't on the list where they say the bouncer would come out and say, well, you, you can't get in. That's what it's going to be like for unbelievers. Okay. And so anybody that you know, if you're in the sound of my voice, make that decision now today. Don't allow the enemy to continue to trick you because it is serious business. Life is temporary here right? But you have, there's an eternity that you can be granted eternal life through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, if you make him your Lord and Savior. So verse 51, let me click here. Sorry, y'all have to always click there so I can make sure I'm on the right note. So verse 51, Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, Lord right? Back to, I love it. It's back to the top of the chapter. He wants to make sure that they understand and the seed that he's sowing, you know, he's gone in this house. They didn't ask him, how could you explain it? And he's saying, now, do you understand? Right? I know when I was going through college, part of the things that you did as a teacher is you check for understanding. You loop back around, you check understanding, you teach, and then you check understanding. 
So Matthew 13, 51, let's see, we're going to take a look at a few notes here in that chapter. So we want to go to that section. So we're going to see cross references at 4, 34, and then 1 John 5 and 20. So we have Mark 4, 34, but without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, so here we go, the multitudes, he spoke in parables, but then when he got along with the disciples, he explained all things to his disciples. Let's look at 1 John 5 and 20. 1 John 5 and 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Why? That we may know him who is true. Remember the understanding. Come on, you could draw a straight line between two, two, between two points. The understanding grants us the ability to know him. And remember the last verse we just read that he said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. So the understanding grants the knowing, right? So that's the thing. So let me keep reading. And we are in him who is true and in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and the eternal life. Man, that's powerful. Okay. The true God. So we need to know the importance of this. It is important that Jesus asked this question. He began this chapter teaching about the wayside hearers. The word is taken from them because they do not understand. This verse reminds us again of the importance of understanding. So what could you do even with this video or any thing that you learn? Once you get an understanding, go give somebody else an understanding. So they are without excuse. Now, if they choose to trample the word of God under a foot, then you've at least done your part. Okay. So again, so we saw the ver the, the cross references there, and then you can pause the video if you want to write down that note that I, um, actually wrote. So they say, yes, Lord. So I hope you are saying yes, Lord, right now that you are understanding the importance and the weight of all of this. So 1352, we also have here another note. And so let's just take a look. Okay. This refers to those. So we'll look at that note after we read it. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe, I love this, instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. And what does he compare them to? He's saying a scribe. So he's giving him all this understanding. And so he says a scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So Jesus is putting some value to those scribes because again, they're not trying to twist the word, but through, let's just take a look at a scribe. Through translating that word, how important that was, that he's bringing out treasures. We're doing this. We're reading this stuff now because some scribes thousands of years ago were responsible enough to hear the word of the Lord and to transcribe it so that we could understand it even in, in the year 2000 plus. Okay, here, this is from the um, English Study Bible, the English Standard Version, I believe. This refers to those who understand both the new revelation from Jesus and how it fulfills the old promises in the Old 
Testament. And so we're going to look at the life application notes. But before we do, let's look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, because he's saying this, the scribe brings out a treasure and he knows how the New Testament fulfills those things that were talked about and prophesied in the old. So let's go back and see the cross reference here that we're going to look up. We are going to look up um, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Was that 3, 16 and 17? Y'all, I want to make sure. Okay, let's see. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, okay? For teaching, like we're doing now, for reproof, for correction, for us when we, you know, get out of line. Right. Paul said, how would I know that there was sin unless the law first didn't come? And it says for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Stop it. Right. All scripture, all scripture, all, not some, all is for the reproof is for correction, instruction and righteousness. That's why he says to the disciples and to us. Do you understand? And they said, yes, Lord, we do. So let's look at, um, let's look at a commentary note, life application notes on this verse, verse 52. Anyone who understands God's real purpose in the law as revealed in the Old Testament has a real treasure. The Old Testament points the way to Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus always upheld its authority and relevance. Relevant, sorry, but there is a double benefit for those who understand Jesus's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. This was a new treasure that Jesus was revealing. Both the old and new teaching give practical guidelines for faith and for living in the world. The teachers of religious law, however, were trapped in the old and blind to the news. Pause right there. That's why he says you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. Or in other words, I can't force this new way of my, the kingdom of heaven slash the kingdom of God. When your mind is like an old wineskin, I can't put this new stuff there because an old, if you put new wine in an old wineskin, it will expand and bust, right? New wine has to be placed in new wineskin. So here we go. They were looking for a future kingdom preceded by judgment. Jesus, however, taught that the kingdom was now and the judgment was future. The religious leaders were looking for a physical and temporal kingdom via military rebellion and physical rule, but they were blind to the spiritual significance of the kingdom that Christ brought. The uh, uh, Holy Spirit's reminded me, you know, when he was on the donkey, they're praising them. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, right? But then the next time you see him getting ready to throw him off the edge of a cliff. So that's the spiritual, um, the spiritual confusion that people can have. Right. And that's where we don't want to be found in that situation. That's why you have to be careful who you listen to. Be careful who's in your life. Be careful who's speaking to you. Be careful who's in that inner circle. Okay. So that we finish that. So here we go. We're wrapping it up. So the parables in this chapter is finished. And so he's now, it says, this is just what I was talking about. 
woman is riding on the on a donkey and he's being celebrated and the next minute he's being rejected or there are times where they want to throw him off the cliff because he delivered a man sent the uh, demons into pigs and so now you mad because your pig herd has gone down and drowned and you lost i think i forgot the number thousands of pigs so here we go jesus rejected at his own hometown so 1353 it says now it came to pass when jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there so he left verse 54 when he had come to his own country he taught them in their synagogue so he's teaching them just like he taught the disciples so that they were astonished and said where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works so let's look at our note at that section again you can copy it down so here we have nazareth so um comparing it to this we're going to pair of verse 54 to john 7 15 and the jews marveled saying how does this man know letters having never studied <laughs> right amazing so if you look here this is just interesting this says a, a town in galilee the home of joseph and the virgin mary and for about 30 years the scene of the savior's life Okay, let me look at look here and that they're talking about Nazareth. He was therefore called Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, although his birthplace was Bethlehem and those who became his disciples were known as Nazarenes. That's from biblehub.com. What were Nazarenes? A member of a sect of early Christian Christians of Jewish origins who retained many of the prescribed Jewish observances. Okay, and so that's from that resource, uh, American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language. Okay, so that just gives you some background, gives you a picture of, um, of what a, a possible synagogue would look like. And then let's just continue on. This verse is highlighted to emphasize the fact that Jesus uh, taught them. It is important that when we gather together to hear the word of God, this is what the Holy Spirit gave me, that we are hearing the gospel. Remember, wayside. We cannot afford to listen to the opinions of men. Be sure that your place of worship is sending out a word that helps you to understand God's word, to understand it, to understand it, not just take something truth out so that you can apply it to this side of glory, now you can do that that's the point of it to help us to, to well let me say that correctly we are to learn his precepts line upon line so that we can live this kingdom life it is not to search the scriptures to see well what scriptures can i apply so i can go build a mcdonald's not saying you can't do that i'm saying when you reduce the bible down to just a manual of how to's so i can have a better life on this side of kingdom it's all about this person it's not about what god desires and wills then the bible is being used incorrectly okay the preaching is incorrect the sermon is incorrect it has to preach the truths of the bible and some things are are hard to take some things are a little easier to take. Some things will help us when he tells us, let's say he reveals his will to you and he says, it's my will for you to build the McDonald's. 
Well, that's fine. We use the scriptures. We allow it to use it to, to speak to us, but we never let it take the place of just having a pure relationship with God where you just seek to just dwell with him and be with him. So hopefully you hear my point on that. All right. So verse 54, and then again, so he taught them just like he taught everybody else, but look at their reaction. The disciples are like, they go in the house and they say, please explain us. And these people are saying, you ain't qualified, Jesus. You ain't qualified. Where'd you get this, this mighty, where did this man get this wisdom and the mighty works? Now, when I read this, I could, let me be careful here because there could be some who are in the crowd who aren't saying this in a negative way. They could be in awe. Some could be in awe because it says astonished, right? And so then we're going to see as we continue on, let me make sure though, I have given you that entire note as we continue on. They say, is this not the carpenter's son? So now we can see what kind of astonishment this is, right? So this is an astonished and awe, like, woo, you know, we're impressed. This is, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not mo- his mother called Mary and his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Not Iscariot, right? So now it's a different tone. That's a whole different tone. So verse 56 and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where, where then did this man get all these things? So now we see the spirit behind it. Okay. So he's preaching and teaching. And then we see him, them, he goes into the synagogue and then they start questioning him, questioning his authority, questioning his education, questioning his ability. You know, honestly, even as women, you know, as women in this day and age, we still get that. Who are you? You are a woman. Your, your gender disqualifies you. Sit in the church and be quiet and ask your husband at home. Really? Because the scripture says in the last days, in the last days, young men and young women shall prophesy. It also says in the kingdom, there's neither male nor female, nor Greek, nor Jew. So I won't go down the lane on that, but I'm just saying, right? There are a lot of people, if a woman comes up on a platform, preaches, teaches praise, they're offended at them. So we always want to be careful. All right. So let's look at verse 57. I want to make sure I give you my note again there. So they were offended at him. Now, remember that scripture? Thank you, Holy Spirit. He said, those who are the things that are offended and practice lawlessness, if I'm quoting that right, right? The destruction. So you got to be careful being offended at Christ. You can be offended at people, but we don't never want to find ourselves offended at him. Okay. And that I'm just going to go down this street. That's also, I mean, I'm just going to say, even in times past, there are times when you are tempted because of the fact, okay, let's use an example. I prayed. And something didn't happen the way, you know, I expected it to happen. I quoted all the scriptures. I did everything I was supposed to do. And it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. So now I find myself offended at him. And so we want to be careful because in those positions, we say, um, and I'm speaking by experience, we say that, you know, you know, I don't understand God. I am upset, but I don't want to cross the line of being offended at you. Okay, so let's continue. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except so a prophet gets honor everywhere else, except in his own country 
and his own house. When that's true, right? And part of it is, um, if you go back to the scripture, part of that is that I want to call it a spirit. It's not really a spirit. I'm just, just bear with me. The spirit of familiar, being familiar with you. You know, they were familiar with Jesus. I know your brother. I know your sister. I know your mama, right? Or people hold you to your past. I know who you are. You, you lived over here. You used to do this. You used to do that. And they, they fail to see that you've been regenerated. Okay. And Jesus is saying that once you have been converted and, and, and let's say you are called and you are a prophet, don't expect honor in your hometown. You might as well just forget that. <laughs> Um, but you will have honor everywhere else, but in your own house and in your, I mean, it is kind of difficult. You know, you see this person when they brush their teeth and, you know, you see them on their bad days, you see them on their good days. It, you, so you, you're trying to honor this person, but what you have to do is try to see him by the spirit. Cause if you see them just on, only in the natural, you won't honor them. You won't honor them. You you do your best to try to see them um, by the spirit. Okay. So, and that's what they were failing to do. If the Holy Spirit was um, operating in them in the synagogue correctly, they would have been able to see with the spiritual eye. I remember when I first moved to where I live now, uh, one of the pastors said, put your good eye on it. Right. And, and I'll never forget it. You know, he, I can see him now standing there saying, put your good eye on it. Right. And so they didn't put their good eye on it. And so that's why they're confused and they are offended. So verse 58, and this ends it. Wait, before I do, let me make sure. Did I, let me make sure to share my cross reference. I don't know if I did. Okay. We are going to look at, let me make sure, um, I have this pulled up. Okay, so Matthew 13, 57, a cross re- a reference at Luke 7 and 23. Let's see this here. Let's get it up here. Oh, cross reference. And we want to see Luke 7 and 23. Give you time to turn to it if that's what you're doing. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So that's a, that warning again about being offended. First, uh, what is that? First Corinthians 1, 23 through 28. Sorry, I thought that was Colossians. Okay. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews. Now, let me pause because there's a comma. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. So here we're saying in this letter written by Paul that saying we preach Christ but he's a, he's a stumbling block to the Jews. And we see that in our verse. And he's saying into the Greeks, he fo- he's foolish. But to those sons of the kingdom, daughters of the kingdom, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, the ones that are called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. That's about putting that good eye on it. Not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the 
foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are my word. That is a mic drop on that verse. So let's look at this uh, last one here in Albert Barnes commentary for this particular verse, 1357. And they were offended at him. That is, they took offense at his humble birth, right? You know, they're saying, isn't this Mary's son? And at the uh, indigent circumstance of his family. They were too proud to be taught by the one who, in family connections, they took to be their equal or inferior. People always look with envy on those of their own rank who advance pretensions to uncommon wisdom or superior power. A prophet is not without honor. This seems to be a proverbial expression. Jesus advances it as a general truth. There might be some exceptions to it, but he was not an exception. Everywhere else, he had been more honored than at home. There they knew his family. They had seen his humble life. They had been his companions. They were envious of his wisdom and were too proud to be taught by him. So we are going to stop there because he goes on and he talks about um, Columbus. Okay, so we see here in this last verse, verse 58. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now that's the sad part. We start out this whole thing about being on the wayside. But then we also look at when you don't even believe. In, in his words, when you don't believe in the logos, when you don't Holy Spirit, thank you. He says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So when you reject the word, you're rejecting Christ. And then when you're rejecting him, it's because you don't believe him. And when you don't believe him, it's like you are calling him an a liar. Okay. So 1358, let's see the last note placed there. Okay, and so again, 1358. So let's read. God has unlimited power, but it pleases him to exercise his power in response to our faith. Jesus did not force divine blessings on people who openly rejected him. He often performed miracles for those who already believed, and sometimes his miracles led to faith in those who did not previously uh, see. Okay, but Jesus would not perform miracles simply for his own personal benefit. This is the NIV Quest Study Bible. This is an important verse. We are reminded of the following verses. So let's look at these cross references. Mark 5, 34. And he said to her, stop it. Come on, Jesus. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, if you're in the King James Version, it says, whole. In the New King James, it says well. If you look this up in the Greek, it actually, that Greek word means saved or rescued. So when I read that verse, her faith, not only, you know, when you read well, you kind of think, okay, she was sick. Now she's well. 
or or when you see the word whole, you think, okay, nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broke. But when I see the original word, that means sozo, S, thank you, Holy Spirit, O-Z-O, saved. It's saying that she was saved from what could be upcoming, which could be death. She had been bleeding for 12 years. And her belief, he was able to, she said, if I could just come up behind him in the press and touch the hem of his garment, I will be made sozo. I will be rescued from this destruction of death. Now that's a whole thing when you see it that way versus just well or whole. If you look at some of the literal translations, they will actually say saved right? But in context, we know we think of well because she was sick, but it takes it up a whole nother level when I think of sozo, that she was saved, right? And it's the same thing for many of the the sons of the wicked one. They fail to be sozo, saved, because they have unbelief in the one who has the power to save. Right? So look at Matthew 29 and he can't do anything with that. We see in 58, that's the one thing God doesn't, he will not do. He will not force himself. He gave us a free will. That's one of our biggest challenges. It is up for us to decide with our intellect, whether not with our intellect, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and gives us that choice and he's wooing you. It is up to us that in our mind, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we just say yes, that we make a decision and say yes. He cannot. That's the one thing. I love it. I heard that from Miles Monroe. There's one thing that Christ can't do, and he can't make a person believe. He can't make a person say yes. Okay. So then touched he, here's another verse, then touched he their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. He also said that to Mary, the Mary, Mary, the angel said that to Mary, be it unto you, according to your faith, be it unto me, be it unto you, according to your faith. Now he could do now look Mark six, five for Mark in, in, instead of Matthew 13, 58, where he, they, they insert another word. They put, he could do no mighty work there, except that he lay his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Stop it. Right. So you have to research that out. Who's You know, there's a difference when you read in the 58, he says he did not do. And then Mark says, but he could not do. So you have to decide. All we know is that it says that we have to believe according to our faith, be it unto us. According to our faith, he's teaching the disciples. He's talking about the wayside and the stony ground and the thorn. And so what will be a tragedy is if you are not saved and you heard all of this and the enemy was able to snatch this word out of your heart. And I hope and pray that is not the case. Okay. I hope that is not the case. So as we wrap this up, and finish it up. If you are saved, I hope you are able to share Matthew 30, 13. Remember the fivefold ministry gift is given to the body of Christ, but we are all to, to go and spread this good news, good news for those who decide to say yes, bad news for those who decide not to. So I pray that you have a good understanding 
Like Jesus said, I say now to you, do you understand? And I hope your response is to him. Yes, Lord. In Jesus name. Amen. So it's that time for your invitation. If you are not saved and a part of the kingdom, here's your day. It says in Acts 2, 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all those who are far away, as many as the Lord our God calls to himself. Right now, he's calling you to himself. If you're listening to this, it is not by accident. This is your opportunity to just repent as the Holy Spirit is pulling on you right now and that you're just turning from the way that you formerly knew. This is just your opportunity to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the person or the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who died for my sins. And so all you have to do to receive his forgiveness is to make that confession. All you have to do, just take a moment. Um, Being baptized is if you're physically able, you can be baptized just to show that what you, what took place today for you. And so you can pause the video and just read this carefully so you can actually understand and be convinced and that no one can speak you or talk you out of what takes place in your life today. So just take a moment and just read. Now also, according to 10, 9, and 10, all you have to do is repeat what's on the screen. I confess and ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe in my heart, God, that you raised him from the dead. And because of that, I'm now saved with my heart and not by my works. I believe by faith into righteousness. And with my mouth today, I make this confession, Jesus Christ, be my Lord and Savior in Christ's name. And so it's not just the confession. Yes, you make the confession, but you believe in your heart. You believe in the one that can save you from your sins. You believe in the one who has granted you eternal life. That results in your salvation. So again, pause the video if you need to, to read so you'll understand what's taking place. Now it's important for you to know what just took place. You are now justified by faith. And again, you can pause the video if you need to read this, but it's just that you have been clearly justified through the blood of Jesus Christ and not through the Old Testament law, not through the sacrifice of animals, but through his shed blood that your faith that you have placed You have been made right with God and the Holy Spirit now dwells on the inside of you so that you can stand in position. You've made the great exchange. You've been justified and he has just come alongside of you and paid the payment that you could not have paid. And so again, pause the video so you can clearly understand and be confident in knowing what has taken place in your life today.
So read this screen along with me. And this comes from the Amplified Bible. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, which demands punishment for sin, because in his forbearance, his deliberate restraint, he passed over the sins previously committed before his crucifixion. It was to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in him. Be blessed.